Hello and welcome to the Library Cafe. I'm Thomas Hill. My guest today on the program is Patricia Fagan, Philip and Lynn Strauss Curator of Prints and Drawings at the Francis Lehman Loeb Art Center here at Vassar College. We're going to be talking about the exhibition entitled Louise Bourgeois, Ode to Forgetting, from the collections of Jordan D. Schnitzer and his family foundation on view through April 5th of this year. Welcome back, Patty. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show again. So I want to go down and take a walk through the galleries with you in a few minutes to talk about the exhibition right while we're looking at them, something uh, I've done once before in New York at the New York Historical Society, but it seems to be a nice way to do this kind of a program. Mm -hmm. Before we go down, however, I thought I'd ask a few questions just to provide some kind of context for the show. So first question is about how the show came to us and where it came from. This is an exhibition that began in Washington State? Yes. The show is organized by Washington State University's Art Museum, mm -hmm. which is the Jordan Schnitzer Museum of Art in Pullman, Washington. Mm -hmm. And we changed some things, mm -hmm. just changed the presentation somewhat, added more wall labels, and actually divided the exhibition into themes mm -hmm. and added more works mm -hmm. and added a very large sculpture uh -huh. so that we could give additional context. Uh -huh. So you're the in-house curator? Then. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, uh -huh. I'm the in-house curator. Yes, so I've been working on the show for about a year and a half. Uh -huh. And is the title ours, or is it this the title it came with? Uh, yeah, no, th this is the title that it came oh, with. Oh, Right, yeah, yeah, so I worked very much with the Jordan Schnitzer Family Foundation. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So the foundation, can you say something about it sort of generally? I mean, is the foundation separate from the museum, the family foundation? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. The, um, Family Foundation, that is in Portland. Uh -huh. The foundation really organizes and keeps all of those prints mm -hmm. that are in Jordan Schnitzer's collection, uh -huh. which is the one of the largest contemporary print collections in the U.S. Well, I was going to follow up and say, is he a collector? Yes, he is a, a real estate businessman. Mm -hmm. He was very, very successful. Mm -hmm. His mother had owned a very popular gallery, mm -hmm. and so he became well-versed in art and prints, you know, very, very early on. Mm -hmm. And so he has thousands of prints. As I say, one of the largest contemporary print collections in terms of a private collection in the country. And what he and the foundation do is they offer the shows that have been organized by museums mm -hmm. across the U.S. from those collections wow. to museums mm -hmm. across the U.S. And so we actually took one of their exhibitions before. Yeah, I was going to say, I re remember that's the name. That's right. Yes, yeah, yes. the Helen Frankenthaler oh, exhibition right. yes, that we yeah. had just uh -huh. a few years yeah. ago. Uh -huh. And that was quite successful. And I enjoyed working with the people there at the foundation. Uh -huh. So maybe to follow up on this, so this is, like Frankenthaler, another famous female artist. And yes. is that part of the draw for us, that we like to promote women artists, because we have so many in the collection, for one. Right, yeah. yes. The collection way back was not formed to strictly have works by women. No. I mean, it was 
formed completely differently. Yeah, but we have more than our fair share in the collection. Well, actually, I am following that idea uh-huh. yeah, up, okay. yes, and, uh-huh. and I'm working on an exhibition as we speak uh-huh. <laughs> of uh, a lot of images of women uh-huh. that were made by women artists. Uh And so I'm looking at really 17th, 18th century, 19th century, you know, on up of all of these images of prints and drawings and paintings and sculpture and photographs Mm -hmm. and trying to look at the different themes that emerged by seeing all all these images Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm doing for a show, actually, that will open up a year from now. Uh-huh. Interesting. So we can use an exhibit as a sort of analytical tool. Uh, yes, uh, yeah, very so much so. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So. So with the bourgeois show here, we tend to think of Louise Bourgeois as a sculptor, you know, known especially for her signature giant spiders. And there is some sculpture in the show, that one piece you mentioned, but this is primarily prints, and she was trained then as a printmaker as well as a sculptor? Yes, actually, but most people do know her work through her large spider yeah, some, uh, <laughs> sculptures. Yeah. Some are 30 feet, yeah, you know, yeah, in you walk height. Under them, yeah, yes, yeah. you can walk very under them. Very imposing. Yeah. Very, very imposing, yes. But she learned to make prints. When she came to the U.S., she studied printmaking with Will Barnett Uh at the Art Students League Uh and Will Barnett was in charge he was in charge of lithography Mm -hmm. for some time there at the Art Students League and so she took a class with him but then at the very same time this was in like the late 30s early 40s she had an etching press Mm -hmm. down in her basement and so she did some work etchings Mm -hmm. very early on So she did make prints in the late 30s and the early and mid 40s. But then in the late 40s, she really began going more into sculpture. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't come back to prints until like the late 80s and early 90s. She lived a long time, well into the 21st century. Yes, yeah. She she lived to be 98 Mm -hmm. and she passed away in 2010. Uh Born in 1911 in Paris. And she was still very prolific then, especially Um, in print. uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, she made over 1,200 prints, Mm -hmm. which is a really good body of prints. Yeah, Yeah. and the big archive of her prints is at MoMA. Uh She starts out, however, in France. Yeah, uh, yeah, she started. Yeah, she was born in Paris, Mm -hmm. and her parents had a tapestry gallery there in Paris, Mm -hmm. and they also had a tapestry restoration business Mm -hmm. in the suburbs Mm -hmm. of Paris. Mm -hmm. And so Louise's mother was very much involved in the tapestry business Mm -hmm. in terms of being a, a like a master. Weaver, uh-huh. and so she really uh-huh. did restore the tapestries, and Louise helped her uh-huh. a great deal by drawing in those areas like legs and uh-huh. feet that had faded. Uh-huh. So that weaving, yeah, you know, and fabric yeah. are extremely important, and they form this bank 
of experience mm -hmm. for her that she uh, really puts into her art. And yeah. there are so many works in the exhibition that do have references, to you know, textiles, to, yeah. to mm -hmm. textiles, yeah. to weaving. <laughs> And like to the spider series, spiders, you know, yes. with the weaving, <laughs> the web, yes. yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. Then she was also a mathematician, though, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. uh, and uh, she went to the Sorbonne when she was in Paris and studied geometry and calculus, and then she switched to art. But she did have a very troubled childhood. Mm -hmm. Her father was involved with the English tutor for herself and her older sister and younger brother. She was the middle child. And so Louise felt abandonment, uh, jealousy, just all, all these different kinds of emotions. It was very traumatic childhood that affected really all of her work. Mm -hmm. And she did say that she used art as a guarantee of sanity, uh -huh. so in some sense art was like a way of coping, uh -huh. a, form, a form of therapy. But going back to Paris, in 1938 she met Robert Goldwater, who walked into her very small modern art gallery that she had there in just a little corner of the tapestry gallery there in Paris. And so they apparently fell madly in love, and three weeks later they married, uh -huh. and then they moved to New York. To New York, and that's how she came to New York. Yes. And then was she welcomed into the New York school? Because she was sort of a, a figure in it with fellow artists at the time, abstract expressionists especially, mm -hmm. although she's quite different from, you know, Pollock mm -hmm. and Rothko and that right. crowd in the way she interprets the unconscious, you could say, but mm -hmm. she's figurative right from the beginning, but... Well, her husband was, Robert Goldwater, was a very prominent art history professor at the Institute at NYU. And from what I understand, he introduced her to a number of the surrealists, mm -hmm. you know, there in New York uh, uh -huh. at the time. And yes, so she did get to know, you know, different members of the New York school. So her work does have a component of surrealism about it, doesn't it? The spiders Yes, yes do. it does. And uh, yeah. delving into the unconscious for material. For sure it does. And actually some works of the 1940s have a kind of cubist and totem-like symbols that you see like in early Rothko and yeah. Gottlieb, you know, different people. Uh, the subtitle for the show is Ode to Forgetting, and I wonder if you could talk about the importance of forgetting in the show, just sort of generally before we go down and see the work that's called Ode to Forgetting, and how this works into mm -hmm. the show and into her art sort of generally. Um, sure. Well, Ode to Forgetting, or Ode à l'oubli, is the title of a unique book, a unique fabric collage book that she made in 2002 with the help of, of a seamstress. Mm -hmm. And uh, those little tidbits that formed, uh, you know, the collages, those little tidbits of garments mm -hmm. and, and linens came from really a whole lifetime of her clothes, mm -hmm. her kitchen linens, yeah, bedroom tea linens. Towels, yeah, 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 tea towels, exactly. Towels from her trousseau. Mm -hmm. So she made these into a very nice abstract 
fabric collages mm -hmm. that have different motifs, like the spiral that yeah. you see over and over again in her work. And so a publisher, Jason Bloom in New York, mm -hmm. saw this unique book and was bowled over by it and just wanted to have that published in an edition through printmaking uh -huh, uh -huh. and also, you know, sewing the little yeah. uh, pieces together and um, with embroidery and so on and so forth. And so we have installed in a grid down in the galleries, we have this print book of fabric collages yeah, yeah, yeah. all all displayed uh -huh. and so that is the ode to forgetting uh -huh. but you, you know to my mind the title is very ironic uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know it has a certain amount of irony in it because Louise was really all about remembering yes yeah well Yes. Yeah, in the analytic situation. Yes, you know, uh -huh. right. You remember so that you can forget. Yes, yes right, yeah, right, exactly. Let go trauma. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. She did say that she wanted to remember things, but she wanted to finally forgive and forget. Uh -huh. And so I think that is what Ode to Forgetting the Title comes around to that it's very hopeful mm -hmm. that she can like forgive and forget and finally yeah. yeah it sounds wonderful and there's a kind of a dynamic of power with her work I feel her works are powerful you they're very so. feminine but on the other hand very powerful feminine you know, well like <laughs> yes. the spiders you know you want to yes. go hide in a corner you know that's right um, so um, yeah I like that about her so obviously there's some tension there, yes. especially a gender tension in a way, you'd have to say. Right. Uh, yes. And she's asserting herself as an artist, but just as a woman also. I mean, I, right. I get a strong feeling for art. Uh, well, she did say that she got a lot of criticism from her father, excuse uh -huh. me, from her father uh, growing up. And that was channeled really into her art. And so you can see that in so many works, particularly the early works mm -hmm. where you have the Saint Sebastian yeah. figures uh -huh. that those have been feminized, yeah. you know, they're Saint Sebastians. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you have like arrows of criticism impaling the woman who was just kind of uh, trying to yeah. get away. But she really did make her art in order to get control of all these yeah. feelings. Yeah, she could be critical herself. She could, she, yeah. yeah. And she was not in her husband's shadow by any means. No, so no. Yeah, she, she was her own her. person. She was, yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so shall we walk down and uh, of course. take a walk through the show? Okay. So, okay, so here we are in the galleries, and uh, we've got three temporary exhibit galleries that you usually have to fill and you have to work in, and sometimes you divide them up into themes. Right. Or, yes. And is this exhibit divided up into yes. three parts? It is, yeah. Right. So the first part here, you've got the introductory panel here of her, her signature spiders, yes? Right, yes, uh -huh. and one of those is on the banner as well uh -huh. So these are prints? No, yeah, they're all dry points uh -huh. where you scratch right into the copper plate uh -huh. to make your drawing. Uh -huh. And then you ink that and print it. And they're drawings of spiders. They're all drawings of spiders, and this is a series 
is devoted to her mother, uh-huh. and she adored her uh-huh. mother. And I have given this tour actually a few times, and most people are very squeamish when I say, <laughs> Spiders, <laughs> oh, yeah. she loves spiders. spiders yeah. <laughs> it identifies, her, it identifies yeah. them with the female. Here, the artists really saw the spider as a protector. Uh-huh as a weaver, uh-huh. and just so similar to yeah. her mother in those kind of metaphorical yeah, terms. Uh-huh, yeah. And here is a quote that just really tells about what we oh. felt about her mother, and she says, the spider, why the spider? Because my best friend was my mother, and she was deliberate, clever, patient, soothing, reasonable, dainty, Subtle, indispensable, neat, and as useful as a spider. Uh Yeah. So this whole series is called Ode à ma mère, or Ode to my mother, from the 1990s. And they're all different. They're all very different. It's almost like... Very different spiders. It's it's almost like an anatomical series of different kinds of spiders and different views of spiders. They're all very different and quite beautiful. That's right. Yeah. And I have a photograph over here uh-huh. of her mother and father. Uh-huh. And then here she is as a little girl, uh-huh. and uh, the family is just adoring her. Yeah. So. Yeah. so this is 1915, her father's dressed in uniform? Yes, uh, yes. He was in the Army and, and was badly injured, yeah. actually. And so uh, Louise went and saw him in the hospital, and you know that was very traumatic yeah, uh-huh. seeing him and others who yeah. were so wounded. It's nice. Her mother's holding her hand there. Yes. Yeah. 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 As I say, she really adored her, her mother. mother. Yeah. She had a very uneasy relationship, I think, sometimes with her father. With her yeah. father. Yeah, and this section is called Biography and the Body. Uh-huh. Really, her works are deeply, essentially autobiographical. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, they really are. Yeah. They're rooted in her emotions, in her traumatic childhood. Yeah, yeah. and all across the decades, too, the later ones and the early ones, she seems to reach back to this period. Very um, much yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And here yeah. are the two St. Sebastian prints uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. Yeah. In this first one, you see where she used in this figure of the woman uh-huh. who is just kind of traipsing along, it looks like. Um, there are arrows that are piercing what looks like a, a body armor yeah. of her stamps. Actually, these are stamps, like relief stamps, yeah. made from her sealing wax Yeah, that you use when you're mailing yes. a letter. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. exactly. So they form an armor on her. In they, sense. Yep, and so it's like body armor uh-huh. where the arrows really can't penetrate uh-huh. because of that. Uh, yeah, you can see the heads. They don't really sink in there. So uh, interesting. And, the, and then the cat. Oh, yeah, the, there's a cat the, there's there. There's a, yes, a cat uh-huh. face that uh-huh. is right next to the woman's very pretty face. Uh-huh. And so, actually, Louise said that the cat face is there just as a reminder that cats can take care of themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, therefore, yeah. so can this yeah. woman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Her body shape is very sort of Venus of Ohlendorf yes. uh, a That's little bit. Right. There, yeah. And are these eggs in her hat? Yes, they those are, are the three eggs. Three and, eggs and, that and she's and balancing it, on her head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, they're up there, and they... 
um, actually symbolize the three children. Oh, I see. Yeah, uh-huh. she and her husband had uh, three children. Uh-huh. And then this is a much larger Saint uh, Sebastian, Saint Sebastian yeah. figure Sho- Shows her here. vulnerability, yeah. And she has these body rings, actually, these contour lines, so... And those are there actually to suggest the tree rings oh. you know, that that you see when you like split a tree yeah. crosswise and you see the, yeah. the tree rings. And that goes back to the St. Sebastian idea because the Christian martyr St. Sebastian was tied to a tree. Oh, was he? Uh-huh. Yes, as arrows uh-huh. were piercing him. And here, actually, in this one, this woman figure here does not have a head. No. And so Louise said, well, the reason why she doesn't have a head is because this woman was just walking along very spiritedly there was nothing wrong in the world all of a sudden she got criticism from outside and she didn't know why and she didn't know how to deal with it Uh she hadn't been trained to deal with criticism uh and she got so angry about it that she lost her head. <laughs> well, I guess people do lose their heads in a yes. way. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting, yeah. interesting turn of phrase, actually. That's right. And this is the earliest print in the show here, from the early 1940s, called Jeunesse or Youth. Uh-huh. And this shows a downcast young woman with long hair, uh-huh. probably. A, portrait of Louise herself. So this is in the 40s. This is in the early 40s and she did this in New York just shortly after she came to the city. There is a portrait of her brother reading a book and over here on the left is her father, father yeah. who's looking on. And she looks pretty depressed there. She, she her head's on the table. And of course, nobody's talking to one another. Um, yeah. Her brother's absorbed in a book and she's uh, just depressed. So. That's right. And her father seems to be talking to them, but they're not listening. That's so, right, yeah. yeah. The print is all about not listening. Yeah, uh huh. So, uh, and here we do have actual fabric. It seems like fabric anyway. Well, yeah. actually, it is not fabric. Oh, it's not? No. It's called crochet, one through yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. it is called crochet, but these are really fool the eye prints. Oh, are they? Oh, they're, interesting. They're all three-dimensional prints. Oh, uh-huh. So what you see here is embossed paper yes, uh-huh. that was inked in the plate in the recesses of the plate. Oh, I see. So it's, so it's a print, actually. So all, all of these are prints. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it uh, looks like yeah. yarn, doesn't it? Yes, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what she did was to make a drawing. Mm-hmm. And then the printer, this was done out in California at mm-hmm. Mixographia Workshop. The printer put a plate of clear plastic over the drawing. Uh-huh. And then he gave Louise twine and glue, and so she glued the twine on top to follow the drawing underneath. Uh Then a rubber mold was made Uh of the top surface, and then a 3D copper plate then was made from that. Well, it's very elaborate. Very, very very elaborate Highly experimental. Well, yes, and this is a process that is actually patented. Oh, is it? I was going to say, it reminds me of Frankenthaler's stuff that nobody's been able to quite reproduce because it's so inventive. Yeah. Right. Um. And then the master printer took red ink Uh and 
painted all the grooves and recesses that were oh. in the plate. Oh. And so then paper pulp was made right there uh -huh. at the studio and was poured and placed right down onto the plate and went down into the grooves. Oh, uh -huh. And so by huge pressure with the press, mm -hmm. The paper picked up the shape of the groove and the ink that was yeah, in there. Uh -huh. So what you have here are embossed prints. Uh -huh. Interesting. As I say, it looks exactly like she pasted yarn onto the I paper. I know, it, it does. Yeah, it so. does. And like yeah. I say, these are really fooled the eye. Yeah, they do, yeah. And they're quite beautiful. I mean, the designs are... Uh, yes. First one looks like a braid of hair almost. That's right. Yeah. And that goes back to Louise thinking that and really believing that long hair on a woman was a sign of strength and confidence. Oh, oh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Good. So, yeah. Uh. And also, but you know, you see the twists yeah. and loops here yeah. of the twine, uh -huh. you know, that had been there originally. Yeah. And that goes back to the weaving. Yeah, a bit see. like, and, and also spider webs, they look very exactly. webby in a way, don't they? Yes. Uh, very much but so. you can see the influence of tapestry on her. And there's something sort of medieval about it all, isn't there? I mean, you can see that so. tone, so yeah. yeah. Quite suited to delving into the unconscious. So. Very uh, much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, she said that she liked this kind of handwork uh -huh. where you just you know kept on doing something by hand. Uh -huh. it, it was... Uh, way of relieving her anxiety. So we're in the second bay now, and this is quite different. More just sheer color, print color, and then you have the sculpture in the center. That's right. Which I, I'm glad you have it roped off because I would hit my head on it for yes, sure if I, was, if I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so, so the sculpture, yes. we should talk about it first. I okay. mean, then, because she's known as a sculptor. It's a spiral form, yes? That's uh, right, uh, yeah. It's, it's a spiral. It's made of aluminum, uh -huh. and it's dangling from the ceiling. Yeah, she liked to hang her sculpture. Yeah, yeah she did, did she? yeah. And, you know, she, she played with metaphors. So if you look at a work and you look at this spiral that's dangling from the ceiling, that kind of equated to like this emotional state, you know, that was a little unbalanced uh -huh. and unstable. Oh, uh -huh. oh, I see. Yeah. Well, it's not a perfect spiral, is it? It's, no, it's a little askew. No. Yeah. But the spiral form is, I saw a really wonderful lecture by a medievalist last year, Eric Palazzo, who was talking about liturgy in medieval iconography and especially in manuscript forms but also in medieval sculpture and the importance of the spiral as a symbol for divine energy generally you know it's movement turning in on itself but still perpetual and uh, I think of that when I look at her spiral here because it is energy doesn't seem to be that's kind of right energy, you know? there is a lot of tension there yeah. with all the different loops going yeah. this way and that and uh, she used the spiral really throughout her work and the spiral for her with her work as a mathematician uh -huh. you know where she she loved geometry so the spiral uh -huh. is part of that uh -huh. the spiral is part of this kind of emotional metaphor where there being a lot of tension uh -huh. or you see in the, um, the print over here called Couples, uh -huh. there are three couples, and each of the couples is swaddled in this uh, very kind of 
snug spiral. Uh So that's a good, warm spiral, Uh yes. Yeah, that's beautiful print. It's one of your signature pieces in the show, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And uh, yes, and you see that the woman in each of the couples, the woman has long, flowing hair, Uh which goes back again to Uh, that. What Louise was saying about hair. Yeah. So this print was actually made as a fundraiser Uh for an exhibition at the. Hermitage in St. Petersburg. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. Really masterful as a print. I mean, uh, the way she works her colors in and the way it's printed. Right. But, you know, the spiral had just had so many meanings for her. Uh One thing she did say about the spiral, that she loved the spiral, and one thing she thought about it was that a spiral also comes to suggest one thing particularly and that's when, when she was a little girl, she would help others wring out the tapestries oh. out, out in the river behind the shop. Uh-huh. And so she thought growing up, this would be a, a good way of getting rid of the tutor because oh. it would be like, well, I can ring the neck <laughs> of the tutor just like yeah, a okay, ring okay, the, ring the, tapestry the, the yeah. tapestries so the, the dry. T- the tutor was his father's mistress, yes, basically, the English, her right. English teacher, yeah, which yes. caused trauma. Um, it caused a lot of trauma. Um, yeah. Especially for her mother, I'm sure. So, yes, yeah. that's right. And then we have an image of a bed, which she was fond of. Beds and tables seem to figure in a lot that's, of her uh, visual right. work, don't they? Uh, right, yeah. and she said that they were essentially the same thing uh-huh. since they uh-huh. were the same size. Uh-huh. But the table and the bed are both centers of the home. Uh-huh. And here you have a woman over here with very long hair. Uh-huh. So again, you have oh, to yes. think, yeah. what is this, yeah. uh, you know, Louise? And then here to the left is... An oval that represents a man's head. Yeah, exactly. And these huge lips that are here along the side actually remind me of Man Ray, you Uh know, some of his Uh works. But this is a really, really beautiful print. Yeah, Yeah, nice lines. And I have over here a a photograph of Louise and Robert on their wedding day Uh in 1938. You can see she's very beautiful. Yeah, she yeah, she yeah. yeah she was very beautiful. So this is the part of the exhibition that is devoted to relationships. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the spiral is key because of the. Uh-huh. Let's see. Well, it's a sort of dialectic, isn't it, uh, between two people? Right. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really suggests the literal intertwining yeah, uh-huh, and enveloping uh-huh, nature uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. of relationships. Yeah, uh-huh. The spiral does. Yeah. And there's another bed then image here, yes. Uh, well, and this uh, is an image of Hamlet rescuing oh, Oph- Ophelia, Ophelia from the as water she's drowning yeah, in the water. Looks yeah. like they're sleeping, but uh, right, yeah. yes, but yeah, here they do form like one spiral. Yeah. So I don't remember Hamlet uh, rescuing Ophelia and Shakespeare. Well, no. Uh, well, he, he didn't, and this is Louise's yes, yes. interpretation. Okay. Yeah. In the lecture in the opening by Don Cuspitt, he mentioned that she liked to quote Shakespeare periodically. She, yeah, did. she did. So, uh, she was very highly educated. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, she picked a lot up 
from what was happening in France in the 30s. That's uh, right. Um, and right. then in New York in the 50s. So, uh, right, yeah. right. She did quite a lot, you yeah. know, in, in the 30s. In terms of art school, I don't think I stressed this very much earlier, but she did study with Leger, uh-huh. the Cubist oh, did she? Uh-huh. and with other Cubists yeah. as well. And then she was aware of psychoanalysis and the whole notion of the unconscious. Uh, yes. and, and in some ways, she seems to be almost illustrating Freud's interpretation of dreams. Uh, when her father passed away in 1951, actually, that's when she started doing psychoanalysis oh, did she? Uh-huh. Yeah. for around 30 years. Uh-huh. And she wrote every day in her diary. Uh, oh, yes, and then the Ode to Forgetting, that's on this wall. And so these are the fabrics that you mentioned. And, right. and these are basically pages yes. in, the, in the book that says Ode to Forgetting right. on the outside. Yeah, yeah the, the, these are uh, essentially the, the pages, and they are all individually yeah. framed and taken out of the book. We don't have paper here as, you know, traditionally you would have. All of the paper has been replaced by fabric. And then you have uh, lots of different abstract designs that use the grid, that use, uh, like, the twine-like different loops and the ziggurat and the spiral and you know just lots of different um, beautiful all very mm -hmm. different uh, yeah and then there is text well there's text here and there isn't it I had a flashback of something that never existed yeah Uh, and that comes from her diaries oh does it Uh yes Uh Uh yeah and you know sometimes these sayings are very cryptic this is lace here, isn't it? Yeah. Right, yes. And I recognize the tea towel here from my childhood, actually. Right? Parents, oh, so, well, yeah. that's good. You that's still, great. You yeah. Is this an early piece? Um, no, uh, this was uh, much, much later. Yeah. Uh, this was done in 2004, and okay. she passed away in 2010. 2010, okay. So this was done in her 90s. So uh, the artist book is then uh, fairly established at this time. You had Solowit and Ed Roucher and other people, uh, oh, yes. well-known artists doing books. So, right. So. Yeah, she had actually, back in the 40s in New York, she did an artist book mm-hmm. in oh, order to get her etchings and engravings better known uh-huh. because she had also done some printmaking at Atelier 17 in mm-hmm. New York uh-huh. with Stanley uh-huh. William Hayter, yeah. uh-huh. you know, like Jackson Pollock yes, and lots yeah, of okay. other people yeah, did. Yeah. So she had done an artist book that early. Yeah, interesting. It's really beautiful. Um, I mean, yeah. beautiful show. Like most of your shows, very colorful. Oh, uh, thank you. And then the last bay here. That's uh, it's right. about time. That's right. Uh, this is all one series, uh-huh, one uh-huh. portfolio, uh-huh. and these are all digital prints that uh-huh. are printed on fabric again. Uh-huh. And, uh, during the 2000s, her last decade, she really did use fabric instead of paper mm-hmm. to print on. So in this series, it's called Hours of the Day. Uh-huh. You have a 24-hour clock uh-huh. in each one, and so you have a different time of the day uh-huh. pointed out in each one, along with some sayings from her diaries, uh-huh. sometimes in French as uh-huh. well yeah, as English. As English yeah. And some are confessional, some uh-huh. are cryptic. I mean, the whole series, to me, reminds me of a book of hours, uh-huh. a medieval yeah. book of hours. <laughs> Obviously referencing it, and actually the lines along the fabric 
our musical score That's lines, aren't right. they? Yeah, right. so, that, that yeah. is right. And it's, it's very text-heavy in a nice way. It, so, yeah, yeah, very text-heavy, yeah. and as uh, music unfolds over time, uh, yeah. you know, so uh -huh. do the hours oh, of yeah. the day uh -huh. Uh -huh. unfold over time. Yeah. Yes. So do they evoke actually certain hours, like, you know, is four in the afternoon feel like four in the afternoon, or two in the morning feel like two in the morning in terms of the text or well we could look yeah, yeah okay i mean it certainly is something the audience can go through uh -huh. and see if they can figure out yeah you can associate a certain time of day with the text i would guess so you have for right. one in the morning uh, back and forth rhythm, rhythm of the clock the planet is a clock turning and ticking you have to get in step with the ticking of the world then it is all right something you might think at right. one in the morning. but uh, And then at five o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. echo uh, well, of the morning, return of the light. Yeah. The admiration towards the love object is infinite. Yeah. Kind of a dreamy uh, A kind <laughs> of dreamy thought, at yeah. first so, light, yeah, yeah. right? Sometimes there is this kind of connection, a kind of ready connection uh -huh. between the text and the uh, hour of the yeah. day, but not not, not always. necessarily. Yeah, yeah. They're beautiful texts, though. Um, Very much so, and the uh, yeah. the texts do come from her diaries. Uh -huh. yeah. And, yeah. And well, I also included this lovely pouch, uh -huh. uh, red and gray oh, pouch, uh -huh. as a kind of. Um, more intimate piece of furniture rather than oh. one of the benches, uh, the, the, yeah. the hard yeah, benches. benches. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. yeah, because to me, I think she would prefer this yeah. than one of the benches. Yeah. Also, we have a few books on her life and art, and people can sit here at their leisure. Yeah, when they've gone through the exhibit once, if they sure. want to sit and think and read and then go back to the exhibit. That's right. I used to like to do that everywhere. It's the way I would view an exhibit. I would uh, sometimes go along with the crowd from the beginning to the end, and then I would double back and go back from the end to the beginning. Right. Uh, so you can do that here with the, with the couch. That's so right. sit and contemplate what you've seen. So it's easier to go against the flow, I found in MoMA when it's a crowded exhibit than it That's is to right. just flow along with the crowds. So. Yeah. so we'll go up and finish up. So Okay, okay great. Well, thank you, Patty. That was really a wonderful walkthrough. You're it's hard, I know, on, a ra on the radio to just imagine what you're looking at. We have to rely on ekphrases to do that, but uh, right. people can maybe it'll motivate people to come in and actually see the work. So. Yeah. Because there isn't a catalog, is there, for the no, show? Yeah. No, there is not a catalog. Yeah. We do have printmaking glossaries yeah. uh, because of, you know, there are more than 80 prints in the exhibition, uh -huh. lots of different oh, yeah. printmaking techniques, uh -huh. and um, so you know, yeah. s sometimes people don't realize what the technique is, but you don't really need to know yeah. what the technique is because the show is kind of merges printmaking with biography. Uh -huh. Because biography was so important. Okay. Uh, so that was wonderful. And before we leave, I, I wanted to know what you have planned in terms of our upcoming exhibitions. You mentioned the mm -hmm. uh, exhibition about depictions of women in art by women artists. Yes. Um, well, that will be one year from now. Yeah, so that's yeah. down the road. So that, yeah, it's down the road. So uh, later this year then? Well, I wanted um, to let everybody know that two of the master printers involved in, in uh, Louise's 
prints that uh -huh. are in the show, uh -huh. and that's Judith Salodkin uh -huh. and also Felix Harlan. They'll both be here on March the 5th at 5 o'clock, and uh -huh. I'll be leading a public walkthrough with oh. them through the exhibition. Oh, oh that's interesting, what, because with printmaking, well, she did have a press at home, but most printmaking requires some kind of a print studio with people who mm -hmm. do nothing but serve artists as printers, That's don't they? Right, so it's like right. really important uh, right. to talk to printers. Very much uh, who so. Who often do all the work of actually making the prints. Oftentimes the artist is just directing. Yes, yes you know, so. that's right. I mean, it, it really is a true collaboration. Yeah, yeah. Now, the exhibition that comes after the Bourgeois Show, in terms of our larger temporary exhibitions, that has to do with Mexican retablos. Mm -hmm. oh. It's called uh, Miracles on the Border, Retablos of Mexican Migrants to the U.S. So that's April 18th oh. to June 28th. And during the summer, we'll have an exhibition of some of Robert Rauschenberg's prints uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, from 1970. Uh -huh. And uh, further on, also, a. Exhibition of Harry Roseman's drawings. Uh -huh. Harry is a professor here. And then during the fall, we'll have an exhibition of British watercolors and drawings from our collection um, to complement those coming from Sir John Soane's museum uh -huh. in London. Uh -huh. oh, Brian Lucas is all excited about yes. that exhibit. So, yes. so I'd like to thank you very much, Patty, for that wonderful tour of the show and for talking to us about uh, Louise Bourgeois. We've been talking about the exhibition at the Francis Lehman of Arts Center entitled Louise Bourgeois, Ode to Forgetting, from the collections of the Jordan D. Schnitzer and his family foundation on view through April 5th. That's right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah, mine too. So from now on, when we do these interviews, we'll have to do them in the gallery because... I do feel that, you know, even though we're translating everything in the words, it helps to have your eyes on the works themselves. It may be something of, uh, you I know, the excitement of the piece comes through the, you know, through the language. So. That's right. Yeah. Okay, great. So. Okay, thank you.